Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. I came this morning to tell you that those lyrics are not just for little kids. Those Words were written in the 1800s by a lady named Anna Warner. She wrote them for a children's book. It was actually just a poem in the book meant to be read uh, as part of a a storyline of a a mother, I believe it was, trying to calm a little girl. But of course, over the years, we've added some some music to those words and some other verses and things, and we, we sing it from time to time. It may be the most sung children's song of all time, I guess, except for Happy Birthday, but we, we sing that song all the time. We call it a children's song, but folks, that's not just a children's song. And I came this morning to tell you that because I want to ask a few questions. The answer is obvious, but... Have you ever been down? Have you ever been overwhelmed? Have you ever been hurting? you ever felt like, I'm not so sure I can put one foot in front of the other one? If, if you have, you know what that makes you? A normal human being. Every one of us have had those days. Some of us even had seasons of life where we've been hurting, we've been down, we've been overwhelmed, distressed, in pain. And you're in good company if you've ever been that way because everybody else has as well. If you're a guest with us this morning, I want to let you know that on Sunday mornings this year when Tyler preaches or when I preach that we are studying simply words that Jesus said. Our theme for 2017 for the entire year is one word, the word of Christ. And we're on Sunday mornings, we're kind of the running joke is we're looking at the red letters in the Bible, just those things that, that Jesus said. So you may think, well, why then a few minutes ago when, when Dylan read to us, did he read something that wasn't found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Because isn't that where the words of Jesus are found? Well, of course, that's where the vast majority of what Jesus said is found. That's where, if you please, his biography is found. But scattered throughout the rest of the New Testament, there are things that are recorded for us that Jesus said. And one of those is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you have a Bible this morning, want to open it to 2 Corinthians 12, you'll, you'll have the outline of the lesson right there in front of you from that text. We'll be walking through that text together this morning. This is the text, as we read together a little bit ago, where, of course, Paul talks about that thorn in the flesh that he was given. And no, I don't know what it was. And frankly, neither does anybody else. There's plenty of guesses, plenty of scholars who've given their guess, and I, I have some thoughts as to what I think it might be, but I don't know. But here, here's the problem. Far too often, we spend our time trying to figure out what it was, and we miss the forest for the trees. We miss the point of the passage, and it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. 
Because throughout this particular text, you, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the conclusion of the lesson. What you really learn from this text is that we're weak, but he's strong. God is strong. That's the point of 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. But I want to share four points with you this morning. That if you've ever been down or hurting, or maybe you came this morning and you are down or hurting, I hope this brings you some encouragement. And if you've never been down or hurting, number one, I want to meet you. Because <laughs> I want to know what that's like. But I hope this will encourage you as well because we're all going to go through those times. First of all, I want you to see in this text that there is a purpose in humility. There's a purpose in humility. If you were to go back up to basically the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the verses before what we read a few minutes ago, you have a very odd passage in a lot of ways. Because Paul writes about this man who was caught up into the third heaven and saw, saw amazing things. And, and most scholars suggest it's Paul himself. Paul's writing sort of in the third person, saying, this guy saw this. And, but it's interesting that, that what he saw, he says in, in verse 4, that there are things that cannot be told and man cannot utter. If I can put that in modern terminology, he's saying, I can't describe to you what I saw. I can't really even comprehend what it was. There's no way really I can, I can describe it. And that's why, in the text we read together a little bit ago, that he says this thorn in the flesh was given to me because of the revelation. See, because of what I saw, that's what I was given. But did you also notice there was a specific purpose given? Down in verse 7, he said that the thorn was in the flesh was given to keep me from being conceived. In fact, he said that twice in that verse, didn't he? The beginning of the verse, verse 7, as well as the end of that verse. To keep me from being conceited, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to harass me so that I might not be conceited. If, if you had been given that vision or that seeing, that scene that, that Paul was given, where you saw probably heaven or the glory of God or something, might not you be a little tempted to? To walk into town and say, hang a banner over town square. I'm coming to speak. And not just I'm Paul, but I'm the guy who got to see heaven. Don't you think that'd draw a crowd? But what Paul seemingly is saying is, I, I didn't want this to be my calling card. And for some specific reason, God gave him this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, to remind him not to let pride overtake him. Now, I've got to be very careful how I say what I'm getting ready to say, so please listen carefully. I've thought for weeks, literally, about the next couple of minutes of this lesson. Paul was given this thorn in the flesh and somehow was told specifically that this was why, to keep him from being conceited, to keep pride from taking over his life. I am not in any way, shape, or form this morning saying that when you and I suffer... It's because God is sending something into our life because we're getting a little too big for our britches. That is not what I'm saying in the least. So please don't hear that this morning. Don't, don't come in. Are you saying that because I serve with it? No, 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 no. But I do think there is a takeaway here. Because when we go through a difficult time, how often do we talk about how suffering resets our focus? And it does humble us. We are reminded in those times that we are frail. We're reminded in those times of the brevity of life. We're reminded that I'm not really in control of all of this stuff. I might have a little control over something, but I can't control everything. 
And so while God may not send those things into our life to, to bring us down to our knees or to cause us to be humble, there is a purpose when we suffer that it does refocus our attention and brings us humility because it reminds us of who we are compared with God. I think that's a takeaway that we must have. If nothing else, it's a focus we should have when we suffer because our focus needs to turn not just on, oh, woe is me, but also... Where is God? There's a purpose in our humility. But I want to suggest to you also in this text, there's a cry for relief. I I love the humanness of this passage. I mentioned in my Bible class this morning that one of my favorite things about the Bible is that the people in the Bible are just people. They have the same struggles you and I do. They have the same victories we, we win. Now, sometimes they might do something that makes our jaw drop, and we go, wow, what an amazing faith, or how could they ever have done that? And we're just amazed sometimes by what they do, sometimes in a negative way, right? We're, we're amazed by what people do in a negative way, but they're just people. And I see that when I read Second Corinthians 12 and verse 8, where Paul says, he pleads with God. He said three times, I pleaded with God that this should be removed from me, or that this should leave me. There is a sense that Paul was saying that I'm just human. Now, I don't love that Paul was suffering. That's not why I'm saying I like this. But I love this verse because it shows just how human Paul really was. Wouldn't you have done just what he did? Wouldn't you have been on your knees, either literally or figuratively, before the throne of God saying, I don't want this anymore? And he says specifically, I pleaded with God. It's an interesting word. If you think in your mind, back to John chapter 17, excuse me, John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, where Jesus was talking to his apostles in the upper room. And do you remember he told his apostles, I'll send you another helper. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he calls him a helper. He calls him a comforter. That word comforter is a form of this very same word. The word literally means to come alongside of or to summon. I believe it's the King James Version that has, I besought God. The idea is that Paul called out to God to come alongside of him in this moment. You've done that, haven't you? Oh, we know God's with his faithful people. We know that. But you still at times when your heart has been broken have pleaded with God to to in some way let you know he's there. We've all done that. It's very natural, very human. That's what Paul was doing about this, this thorn in the flesh. I called God alongside of me because I needed him in that moment. But specifically, he says, the pleading was that it might be taken away. It should leave me. Or some translations have, it should depart from me. As you see on the screens, the word literally means to fall away from or to be absent from. Paul's prayer or Paul's pleading here was not, God lessen the pain just a little bit. God, give me one good day and then I can go back to suffering for the rest of my life. That's not what he's he's praying. He is pleading that whatever this was, whatever this thorn in the flesh was, that it would fall away from him, that it would be absent from him. And I think the implication is immediately. I want this gone and I want it gone now. And it reminds me that sometimes in my own prayers, it becomes far too easy to just tiptoe around what I really want to tell God. I don't want to burden God with, with specific stuff. I, I, I might plead, but I'm not really going to say what I'm thinking. 
Paul was specific. I want this thing gone. And I want it gone now. It reminds you of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Where we're told because of what Christ did that we can come before the throne of grace with confidence. Some translations have with boldness. And as you've heard me say before, he doesn't say with arrogance. It's not arrogance we come before God's throne. But because of what Christ did and because that Christ is our high priest, we can come before the throne of God with every confidence that whatever we bring before him in reverence is going to be given a fair hearing. And isn't that a beautiful blessing? Think back to so many of the Psalms. How many of those beautiful poems in the book of Psalms are people, David and others, pleading with God from every type of emotion you could think of? Sometimes they're on the mountaintop and sometimes they're very much in the valley. Sometimes they've won victories and sometimes they've lost. Sometimes they're angry. May I remind you, that was before Jesus came on the scene. And they still were willing to come before God with all kinds of boldness. How much more should you and I? Because we have a Savior who took our place. We have a Savior who stands before God as our high priest. How much more, again, not arrogance, but how much more confidence should we have that when we take something to the throne of God, one who knows what you and I are going through is between us and God taking those things before the throne. We can pray about anything and everything in any and every circumstance and situation. That's what Paul was doing. It's a cry for relief. I want this gone. But here's where the text gets its weight. And here's why we're studying this this morning as we think about the words of Christ. Because in the third place, you have the divine response. If you and I were writing this chapter, and it wasn't true, if we were just writing a fictional story, wouldn't you be tempted to have this great man, this great preacher, this great missionary, have some kind of pain, whatever it was, and plead to God for it to be taken away, and the end of the story be, God says, you've been good enough to me, sure thing. If you and I are writing just a fictional story, that's probably what we would do. But folks, this isn't fiction. This is really Paul, and this is really his life. And so God, Christ specifically, he doesn't say yes, but instead he gives a reasoned no. But notice how I worded that. He gives a reasoned No. When he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you let me paraphrase what Jesus said, the first part of that statement, his reason was basically this, Paul, trust me. It's basically what he said, isn't it? My grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say... My grace is sufficient for you for about a year or so, and then I'll take this away. So far as we know, whatever this was that Paul had, he had. We never have any indication that that it went away, that it lessened, that it got any better. Now, maybe he had some good days and bad days. Maybe he had some good seasons and bad seasons. But but whatever this, this problem was, he had it. God did not say, okay, you've been a good missionary. You've traveled enough miles. You've spoken to enough people. I'll take it away. But he said, Paul, you trust me. And do you remember the reason why Paul was given this thorn in the flesh in the first place? To keep me from being conceited. Paul, you quit trusting yourself. And you trust me. 
That's a powerful answer, isn't it? And it reminds you and I that when Jesus says that my grace is sufficient for you, that that's still true. The word sufficient there means content. It means enough. God's grace is enough. And it's really easy on a Sunday morning where we're all kind of smiling and enjoying being at worship and seeing people to go, yeah, I agree with that. God's grace is enough. No matter what comes, God's grace is enough until it's my body that hurts or it's my phone that rings and I get the news. That's when my grace is sufficient becomes, do I really believe it or not? But folks, God's grace is sufficient. How can you say that? Don't we need more than His grace? No. And the reason is very simply because God, out of His grace, gives us everything that we need. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, James chapter 1 and verse 17. So every good thing that you and I have is from the hand of the grace of God. When you and I face times of difficulty and and times of suffering, we have all that we need. He has given us His presence. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28 and verse 20. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, as one of our new bulletin boards says down at the other end of the hallway. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. He's with us. As we mentioned a few moments ago, He's given us the ability to pray and come before Him in boldness. When I'm not sure what to do, I can come before God in those moments in boldness in prayer. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. He's given us other believers. The family of God. I don't know how many times... I've heard people who have gone through a time of suffering or loss say something like, I don't know how people do this without a church family. I've gone through a few things in my life, never, never anything just absolutely you know, ridiculously earth-shutting, but even those things in my life, losing grandparents and things, I, I don't know how people do it without a church family. I don't. And some of you have gone through things far closer and more heart-wrenching than that. He's given us other believers to walk with each other through these times. He's given us the Scriptures. Romans 15 and verse 4 talks about the Scriptures that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. How many times has your heart been hurting? And even if it was just for a few moments, just, just finding the right passage settled your heart for a moment. And how often have you been in those moments of pain and the right passage just happens to come to mind because you've, you've steeped yourself in the Word of God. You know it. And it helps you through those times. And, of course, God has given us examples through Scripture, through each other, and the ultimate example in Jesus. How do I know how to handle difficulty? I look to Jesus. All of those things are from His grace. His grace is sufficient. So when your heart is hurting for whatever reason, His grace is enough. It is sufficient. And we we understand that, the rest of what Jesus says begins to come into sharper focus. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's where we get to number four and the ultimate takeaway for us, an invaluable lesson. What Jesus says to Paul was enough for him. It's not to say that Paul never struggled again. It's not to say that Paul never had another bad day. I don't think it's to say that Paul ever never, never thought again about wanting this taken away. I think he probably would have from time to time. But the lesson he learned is the strength of God. Verse 9, the end of the verse, Therefore I will, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And verse 10 begins by saying he could be content with all kinds of suffering and difficulty, and then he says it in the end of verse 10, For when I am weak, then I am strong. And someone says, wait a minute, you mistitled this lesson. 
Because we, we gave this lesson the title, we are weak, but he is strong. And Paul in verse 10 says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. They're both true. What made Paul strong was the realization that his only strength was in Christ. That's what made Paul strong. It wasn't just that Paul got over this thorn in the flesh. That's not it. It was still with him. He still had to live with it. But what made him strong was the realization that when I'm weak and when I get out of the way and let God work through my weaknesses, the strength of God shines through my life. Isn't that how God works so often? When Gideon had 32,000 people in his army, God said, that's, that's too many. And it wasn't because of some strategy thing. What was the reason? Well, if they win with 32,000, they'll go, look what we've done. Self-congratulatory. So through that series of events, he, that series of tests, he whittles it down to just 300 people. And who got the credit? Well, what was the battle cry? For the Lord and for Gideon. Now, Gideon got some credit, but who was first? For the Lord. This is for God. Because she got 300 people compared with an army of thousands. You better give the credit to God. When David stood before Goliath, insurmountable odds, impossible odds. Who got the credit? The Lord God I serve will give you into my hand. When Daniel stood before the most powerful king in the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, and was told to do the impossible, you tell me the dream and its interpretation. Really? Who got the credit? There's a God in heaven who gives dreams and interpretations. Folks, it's when we realize these, these obstacles, these situations are way beyond us. That God gets the glory. And if we are people of faith, that's what we should want in this life. is for God to get the glory. How often have we seen a Christian go through a time of immense suffering or loss or pain and keep his or her faith intact? Maybe not do any world-changing thing, but just keep their faith intact. And when we look at them and we're proud of them and we're grateful for them, But who gets the credit? They always give the credit to God. He's the one who helped me through this. That's what Paul is saying. The language of what I'm getting ready to read is a little bit dated. I'll I'll, I'll grant you that. But I want you to listen to something Joseph Parker wrote many years ago as he was writing about this passage in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, we often want to pray to God day by day, that we may have nothing to do. Our prayer would seem to be run into this lesser form. Lord, kill the devil, take away temptation. Let me know no more of the solicitude and plague that plagues my life. But instead, give me perfect immunity from all the disasters and assaults and perils that have come to beset my struggling life. And he says, that's madness. He writes, the great, bold, heroic prayer is this. Lord, give me grace to fight this also. In thy power, I can trample down a thousand. I am but a little one. But if thou wilt fight my battle, I shall put ten thousand to flight. I shall burn the gates of the city of the enemy and come back weighed down with spoil taken from the hand of the foe. Give me more suffering if by it I can do better work. Preacher confession time. I'm not sure the last time I prayed anything like that. The first part of that paragraph paragraph, is usually more how I pray. God, just take every difficulty away. Just give me a primrose path. Let me just waltz down the easy street right to glory. 
But did you notice the heart behind that paragraph? It's not that I want to suffer. I don't think that should be our prayer. God, just pile it on. But God, if suffering comes, well, let me step out of the way so you get the glory. And if in my suffering I can do better work, if people can see you because I'm weak but you're strong, then that's okay. It's okay. And that's real easy to say on a Sunday morning standing up here in a suit and tie. And it's real easy. I see some people going, yeah, right, mm, I agree. Until I remember, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Everyone to him belongs. I'm weak, but he's strong. You may have come this morning because of an invitation, just because it's homecoming and because we're going to have a good meal in a few minutes. You want me to shut up so you can eat? I get that. I know. I'm hungry too. I didn't have much for breakfast <laughs> and I ate early. But you may have come in this morning with your heart absolutely sick. And you may have come this morning in a day, a week, a season of life where you are hurting. I want to tell you that the same Jesus who told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, is the same Jesus who's still on his throne. And he's the same Jesus who, when you are weak, can help you be strong. Who, when you will get out of the way and, and say, I'm weak, I can't do this on my own. I'm not saying God's going to miraculously do something through your life, but I'm saying God can get glory for, for some amazing things when we're at our lowest points. And that's the Jesus we preach. But far more than the Jesus we preach, that's the one we live for and the one I want to see in glory. He's told you how to have a relationship with Him. He Himself said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. Do you believe that He is the Son of God? He Himself said, except you repent, you'll perish. Repent just means to, to change your mind about sin, change your life. T turn your life from the way you've been living to the way He wants you to live in the Scriptures. H have you done that? He Himself said, whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Confess just means to say the same thing. As, Are you willing just to say what the Bible says about Jesus? He, he is Lord, He is Savior, He is King. Are you willing to say those things? And then he himself said, as we mentioned a passage a few weeks ago, we say together, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Baptism is just an immersion in water where our sins are washed away and we are saved at that moment. You may have come today just by invitation or just for a meal or just to spend a day with family, but folks, something far more important could happen today. If you say, my life needs to be his. And I don't know how many people are here this morning. It looks like a good crowd, but I'll tell you this. However many it is, everyone in this room, everyone in this room will put off a meal for a few minutes for you to become a Christian. But this morning as a Christian, if you are one, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean every day is fantastic. 
Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have suffering in your life. And maybe, maybe those things that are weighing you down in life have, have started to pull you away from God a little bit and you, and you want to be forgiven of something or you just want encouragement to make sure that your life is really one where you say His grace is sufficient. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. I, I can't do it all the time perfectly, but I want the prayers of my brothers and sisters in Christ to make certain that I'm walking that path, that, that I can say His grace is sufficient and I can walk through any day, any season of life, faithful to Him. And you want us to pray with you. We would love nothing more than to do just that. In just a moment, Brother Ricky's going to lead us in a song. We call it the song invitation. All that means is we're going to stand up together and sing together to give you some encouragement to step out in one of these aisles. You won't have to walk all the way down to the front. We'll meet you before you get down front, I promise you. (laughs) We'll come get you to encourage you, to shake your hand, to give you a hug, to talk with you, whatever you need. His grace is sufficient. And if you need it this morning, We invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.